when I took my children to Eretz Yisrael for the first time, and we had a schedule, someone had invited us for dinner, so we went to the Kaisel, and I told my children, okay, we're going to be here for X amount of time. So when the time was up, I went over to this 15-year-old child, and I said to him, okay, it's time to go. And I had been in Eretz Yisrael many times, I learned in Eretz Yisrael. And my son turns to me with tears in his eyes, and he says, Tati, it's my first time. I can't leave. So we stayed. I learned a lot from my teenage son. And that feeling should never get stale. We have to find a way to make sure to renew that freshness. It's so, so important. And welcome to Tor Talks Chazak's Tuesday night program with a special guest we have with us all the way from Chicago, Rabbi Henach Plopnik Shlita. Rabbi, welcome. How are you? Baruch Hashem. We're doing good. A little cold, but we're okay. <laughs> Baruch Hashem. Very, very excited to have the rabbi on the program. And uh, we're going to be discussing inspiring our children. And before you get to the exciting topic, if you could please get a little bit of background about the rabbi and the great work you're involved. Sure. I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. I spent my formative yeshiva years in Philadelphia yeshiva. After that, I went to Ponovich. I learned by the Godel Ador, Blazer Shach. After coming back from Ponovich, I was in Lakewood for a short while until I moved to the Chicago Community Coil, which is a Lakewood branch coil here in Chicago. I was there for seven plus years. Then I began dual careers in Chinuch and in Rabbanis. I am currently the ninth grade Rebbe in Yeshiva's Kesayoyna in Chicago. And although I'm not an active pulpit Rav anymore, but I still serve in that capacity on different levels and community issues and whatnot. So Baruch Hashem, I have a full plate and I'm very happy to make some time to be part of your plate as well. Thank you very much, Rabbi Plotnik, for making time to joining Chazak. We always appreciate it. And uh, Yag Dator, continue doing the amazing work that you're doing. And uh, the, the the question is, you know, how do we make it exciting, Rabbi, being that you do so much chinuch, for our children to be excited and learning? Any suggestions? Well, let me tell you an interesting thing. I once asked my Bachrim, how do you give geshmak? Now, the word geshmak doesn't have a good translation in English, but it means a tremendous amount of satisfaction, enjoyment, ecstasy, for lack of a better word. How do you give Gishmak? So one boy raised his hand and he said, you know how you give Gishmak, Rebbe? By you being Gishmak. That was a great answer. (laughs) And I told him that you remind me of something that I had a question about when I was learning in Panavish Yeshiva by Rablaza Shach back in the early 1980s, Rav Shach, besides his daily share, used to give a share klal, he used to give a share once a week. He used to alternate with Rav David Pavarsky every two weeks. And you couldn't talk to Rav Shach the entire day before he gave a share. He was so focused and concentrated on what he was doing. The world could be falling in. You couldn't talk to him. And it was hard to understand the share sometimes. His voice was raspy. He was old, even though he gave share on a microphone. And very often after the shir was over, I would look in his very safer, Avi Ezri, and I would find the exact same shir already printed inside the safer. So it always bothered me. Why is he so uptight? The day he gives the shir, I can look up the shir in the Avi Ezri, and so could he, and he'll certainly understand it better than I will. Why is he so nervous and uptight 
the day he gives a shear, but I didn't have the gall to ask him this question. Years later, one of my classes gave me a set of svarim from Rav Shach, and one of the svarim was a collection of his last 20 shmuzin that he gave in yeshiva. And in that sefer, it said that there was a younger man in the koil who I happened to know, who asked this question to Rav Shach. He had the gall to ask him, why do you get so nervous before these shiurim? They're all printed already anyway. What's the big deal? And Rav Shach said, do you think that the way to put Torah into your Talmidim is just by reading it out of a Sefer, even if it's your own? You got to live it. It's got to be a Torah Schayim. And I got to go relive the whole Suvia every single time and then give the Shir with that Torah Schayim and that Lebedekite, that sense of life. That's the only way you're ever going to succeed in giving Torah over to your Talmidim. So this Talmud was right on. The only way to give Gishmak is to give it over with Gishmak. You have to feel that Gishmak. You have to feel that excitement and that unparalleled joy in learning. If you do that, you're already 90% of your way to giving things over to your Talmidim. And I spent the first 11 years of my teaching career teaching eighth grade. I was offered the job that I have now for the last 20 years. And I was very concerned if I could do the job justice because it's a different kind of a learning, eighth grade, as opposed to Masifta. You're learning much deeper. You have to be much more familiar with what we call the Yeshiva Sharaid, all the different Torah from the contemporary Rosh Hashivas and the Acharonim, the later commentaries. And I was sort of out of the system for 11 years. And I asked one of my Rebbeim, Rabbi Yitzhak Perman, who's now retired, he lives in Lakewood. He was a phenomenal Rebbe and a very inspiring Rebbe for me. I asked him, is it possible to make this transition? And he said to me, your job as a Rebbe is to give the boys a geschmack in learning. You can do that no matter how long you were teaching elementary school. I said, you're afraid you don't know all the yeshiva, shatayra, you don't know all the little details of the sugya? He said, by now there are plenty of svarim out there that can help you with that. It's not a problem. You can cheat if you want. That's fine. No one's going to know the difference. Your job is to give them over a geschmack. So I took that as my mandate, that you have to give them a geschmack. When you show the geschmack, you give them a geschmack. It was a very interesting story that Rebbe Baxt, Zatzal, the Rosh Hashim in Detroit, related. The great Baal Musser, the Alta von Kellam, Reb Simcha Zisel Ziv, once had to go collect staka from a wealthy person who was known to be a terrible miser. And it was very hard to get a penny out of him. And he went to his house, and he got on his hands and knees and he started asking him for money. So the Bacha that had accompanied the Aldafin Kellum to this person's house was appalled. It's such a disgrace to the Torah that the Rebbe has to get on his hands and knees. So he asked him afterwards, why did you do that? He said, when you talk to a person, you have to talk in his ears. Some people's ears are on the side of their head. This person's ears are in his feet. I knew that's the way to talk to him, and he gave me a beautiful donation for what I was collecting for. And I read this story, and I said, this is the key to every Machanach's success. You have to find the ears of your Talmidim. You have to know how to talk to them. You have to know what speaks to them. You can't teach them like you taught 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and sometimes not the way you taught 10 days ago or 10 minutes ago. You have to know who you're teaching, how to talk to them, how to excite them, 
and most importantly, how to engage them. If you want to make your Torah Lebedic, again, my best example was with Shach Shir. It was nothing short of a war zone. The Rosh Hashiva would pose a question and he would let people fight and yell and scream. And this is the way the Shir caught on. Everybody was so excited to be part of it. And this is what a great classroom looks like. It's engaging. You involve involve the students at every juncture that you possibly can make everything as relevant as you can especially when you're learning gemara and sometimes you're learning archaic principles about an ox goring this and uh, how do you put up an a reveal or whatever the concept is you got to make it as real and as relevant as you can and i would advise people to do something which i do almost every arab shabbos i pick out sections mostly from the Gislech Zilberstein Svarim Chashukei Chemed, that he has arranged by the Dafim in the Mesechtis, how the different Sugis in the Gemara come alive in a real, live Shailah. And you can show the Baruchim, look how the Rav Pask in the Shailah. He learned the same Gemara we did. He learned the same Tezis we did. He learned the same Rashba we did. And it makes everything so relevant and so real and so important. It gives it Chios, it gives it life. One last thing which I would recommend, which... I try to utilize as much as I can. Call a Talmud's parents and grandparents whenever you have a chance. And just tell them, you know, your son is terrific. He asked me a great kasha today. If you can even say over the kasha, and you have all these partners with you in giving this child that enjoyment and that satisfaction in learning. The Zaydi calls up and says, you know, your Rebbe called me up from Chicago and he told me you asked this terrific question. I can't believe it. One day you're going to be a world-class Talmud Chacham. And then the Bubby calls and she says, you know, I heard you opened up the door for your Rebbe before he fell on his face and broke his glasses. Oh, you're the one who tripped the Rebbe. You didn't tell me that part. Whatever it is, get them involved. And the more people that he has to please and he has to satisfy will make his learning that much more meaningful and that much more enjoyable. Amazing, Rabbi Plasnik. We feel the call, the energy, the gishmat, like the rabbi said, through the streams. And uh, the question is, how do we maximize their energies in learning in the classroom in specific? Okay, so that's a great question. The truth is that even secular educators deal with this a lot about how to keep children awake, how to keep them alert, and this, this is Nagea, this pertains to children all the way down from elementary school, all the way through college. Everybody struggles with the same thing. Now, the truth is, we're not the first ones that had to deal with this. The Medrash tells us that Rabbi Akiva was giving shear, and he saw that his children were being, his Talmidim were misnamdamim, they were falling asleep. The great Rabbi Akiva! And Rabbi Akiva wanted to wake them up. So he told them a vort, a cryptic vort. He said, why was Esther Zeicha? to be the queen over 127 provinces, because since Esther was a descendant from Sari Imenu, who lived 127 years, so it's fitting that Esther should be a Malka over 127 provinces. And the obvious question is, what does one thing have to do with the other? And why did this Vort wake them up? So there's a beautiful Vort from the Chedushi Arim, the Ger Rebbe. The Chedushi Arim says that it's pretty clear from this Maimer Chazal that Sarah, the big tzaddikis, every year that she put into her quality life enabled Esther to become Malka over one more province, which was very significant to Esther to be in that position. That means that she maximized her efforts in this world and it paid off down the road. And the way he put it was one year of Sarah Imenu's great Avedis Hashem created one country for Esther. 
So can you imagine, 127 years of that concentrated Avaida created 127 provinces for Esther. So the Chedush said, okay, every year is one province. Every month is a city. Every week is a neighborhood. Every day is a block. Every minute is maybe a backyard. But every single moment that you're alert and awake is so precious, you have no idea what you're creating down the road. So he woke up his Talmudim with that. He said, you know, every minute is so precious. Every minute is so precious. So please don't let yourselves fall asleep. And of course, the Talmudim of Yekiva took the bait. Halavai, my Talmudim would take that bait. I tried that forth in Shir. It didn't quite work the same, but a Hashem down the road. They'll be just like Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva if I can make myself Rabbi Akiva. But the truth is, there are a lot of tricks that you can use. One thing is to have shorter periods. I don't think it's a good idea to have children locked up in a share room for too long at a time. I guess it's age appropriate, obviously. But even ninth graders that I teach, I find that an hour is pretty much maxing out. And then you give a break, you gain in the long run. If you think keeping them for an hour and a half, you're going to accomplish more. You're making a big mistake. You break it up, and they're fresh when they come back. You should get active immediately as soon as you walk into that shiru, whether it's in the beginning of the day, whether it's during the break. You know, once upon a time, I don't know how old your listening audience is, but there used to be something called vaudeville acts. They used to have, you'll excuse me for mentioning the Three Stooges, if anyone knows what that is, but they used to have these comedy skits back in the 30s and the 40s. The average vaudeville act was 12 minutes. And it was done with a cheshbin because they decided back in those days no one could pay attention for more than 12 minutes. Now, I read in a recent study that they said nowadays it's 10 minutes. I don't believe it. I don't think it's 10 seconds. You have to always be cognizant of the fact that people's attention spans are short. That means you've got to keep switching ideas. You've got to change up. You walk around the room and change the scenery, whatever it is. You are the scenery. You walk around to this bucker, to that bucker, move around the room, change the topic, whatever it is. Another important thing, which I learned from one of my rebbeim, Reb Mendel Kaplan, he used to give shear in the middle of a circle. The bucker did not sit in rows. They sat in a circle. This way, everybody was in front of the Rebbe. Everyone had clear eye-to-eye contact. The Rebbe saw everybody. You can't fall asleep in a circle like you can behind the bucker in front of you. It doesn't work. And it's a, there's a natural... And I can tell you the honest truth, the shirum I have this year is a little bit smaller. One of the other Rebbeim needed my old shirum, which is big. I cannot put my bachram in a circle this year, and I can tell the difference. It's not the same, because when they're in rows, it's not the same. Yeah, you can hide a little bit behind another one. I don't see everybody the same. Put your Talmidim in a circle as much as possible. If you teach in a school that doesn't have big rooms, insist that they knock the school building down and build new rooms so you can teach in a circle. It's also okay to have water bottles. It's a good thing, not because they need to be hydrated, which they do anyway. But again, it's a break. It's a mental break for them. You know, I can take a breath for a second. I'm taking a drink of water. That's fine. And even if they have to doodle, no, no. It's not the end of the world. Better to doodle than to fall asleep. I asked one bacher. I gave out copies of a Rambam one day. I said, do me a favor. You're artistic. Doodle me on the back of your sheet while we're learning the Rambam. If you're not going to be listening anyway, at least do something constructive and make a picture of me. I'm still waiting for a good one. I haven't seen the practice ones. But as long as they're engaged and they're active, you're going to keep them alert. Amazing, Rabbi Plotnik. Very, very, very good points. 
especially now, Rabbi, and I know I'm veering off from the topic a little bit, but it, it, it's all connected. Uh, and, and in general, how does uh, one have uh, his children build a deep-rooted appreciation to Eretz Yisrael and Eretz HaKodesh? This is one of my uh, pet peeves. I believe this is not really stressed enough in the educational system. I can't speak for every school. I'm only exposed to so many of them. But when I was growing up as a child, Eretz Yisrael was very much on people's minds. You have to realize when I was a young child, this was before 1967, but I have this vivid memory of a Meshulach coming to our house after 1967. I believe he came by boat and he was staying in our house and I asked him, did you see the Kaisal Maravi? In those days, the Kaisal Maravi was a painting on everybody's living room. In fact, I mentioned this once in a class and one woman said, I'm sorry, I can't afford a painting, but she got me a little like five by seven picture of the Kaisal Maravi in a frame. And she said, at least you can put this in your living room. And I have it on the wall in one of my hallways. But it was such an excitement, Kaisal Maravi. And I remember he told me back, not only did I see the Kaisal Maravi, I even saw the Marsa Machpelo too. I couldn't believe it. Wow. It was such a thrill. Now, the truth is nowadays, I hate to say it, but to some people, Eretz Yisrael became a little bit of a tourist attraction. The thrill of Artsenu HaKadosh might have somehow changed a little bit because we're so rugged, we're so used to being able to go there. Maybe that wore off. I remember Nebuch, I was once in a souvenir shop in Meishar, and there were two men talking about their itineraries for the day. And one of them said, yeah, first we're going jeeping, and then we're going to do Rebar and Leib. And I looked around at this person. I said, you're going to do Rebar and Leib? What is he, the Statue of Liberty? You're going to see Gedolim and Kedoshim and Eretz Yisrael. But to him, Eretz Yisrael seemed like it's another vacation spot. It's like Rio de Janeiro, La Havdil. We're going to do jeeping. We're going to do Rebar and Leib. Maybe we'll do Rebetzin Kanievsky too. Eretz Yisrael, when we grew up, was a place where we had this tremendous passion to go to see we got it from our parents. We got it from society. It was something that was very chashiv to us. I just read a beautiful story last night. The previous Bayana Rebbe was once in Switzerland and he was on a train and the shamish that was traveling with him said, you know, you can get a beautiful view of the Alps right now. You want to see the Alps? He said, no, I'm busy learning Mishnah. It's okay. They finally went back to Eretz Yisrael and in the taxi cab on the way back to Eretz to his dear in Yushalayim, he was looking out the window the whole time. So his shamish said, I must ask the Rebbe, why in the Alps didn't you feel compelled to look at the scenery? And in Eretz Yisrael, you do. See, so he said, do I have to see the creations of Hashem? I see them on my body every day. I don't have to see the Alps. But on Eretz Yisrael, it says in the Pesach, Hashem looks at Eretz Yisrael. How do I not want to look at Eretz Yisrael? And you hear a meister like this, and it makes you feel so warm and so close about how great people felt that warmth, that caring for Eretz Yisrael. You know, the Gemara says that you're not even allowed to sit in a spot in Eretz Yisrael where you're going to complain about the heat. You have to go into a cooler spot. There was a heat in Eretz Yisrael. He had an air conditioner, and he had a little sign on it. He wrote, Mizgan Ravami and Ravasi. The air conditioner of Ravami and Ravasi, because they're the ones that said in the Gemara, that you shouldn't sit in a hot place in Eretz Yisrael. So you shouldn't say Lashon Har in Eretz Yisrael. The Meraglim were accused of saying Lashon Har in Eretz Yisrael because they didn't learn from Miriam, who said Lashon Har on Moshe. Moshe's a person. Eretz Yisrael's not a person. It's sticks and stones. It's ground. 
But the Gemara is telling us a tremendous lesson that we have to feel Eretz Yisrael like we feel a person. All those kinnis at the end of the kinnis and tishav of all the tzionim. We're talking like we're talking to a person. If you read those things slowly, it's already the end of Kinnis. Sometimes you're all a little too fast by then. But sit down, Erev Tushabov, and read them. We relate to Eretz Yisrael like we relate, we relate to people. And that's the love we have to have for Eretz Yisrael. And children especially shouldn't be confused when we tell them about all the wonderful, great milos of Eretz Yisrael. They have to realize about Eretz Yisrael, that's Kadosh, the Eretz Yisrael that we daven for, and the Eretz Yisrael that we speak about in Birchus Hamazon. They shouldn't confuse the political reality of today's Medinas Yisrael when we're talking about Kedusha Saaretz. They're two separate things. They happen to be in the same place, of course. And in Mitzvah Shem, one day, we're going to have a Memshalah, we're going to have a government that's run out Pitaira. But they have to appreciate what it is if we speak about how special Eretz Yisrael is, how special the fruits of Eretz Yisrael are, and they still taste different. I remember one sitting in the house of Rabbi Yossel Scheinberger, the, the secretary of the Eidach Haredes, and he took out a, a thing of grapes, and he said to me in Yiddish, Zaytoyin Paris Eretz Yisrael! Taste some Paris of Eretz Yisrael! And they're the most delicious grapes I ever had in my life. I always would like to go back to Eretz Yisrael to eat some Paris of Eretz Yisrael. We have to talk about this a lot. The Alta von Slabodka, when he retired at the end of his life and lived in Yushalayim, he was frail, he was sick, and somebody asked him, why are you here? You can't do anything here anyway. And he said, what do you mean I can breathe the air of Yushalayim? What do you mean I can't do anything here? And we have to inculcate these things in our children to make sure they understand and appreciate how special Eretz Yisrael is. I remember the last time I was in Eretz Yisrael, I got a ride in a taxi. And of course, the taxi drivers there are all missionaries trying to make you move to Eretz Yisrael. So this person says to me, no, so when are you making Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael? And I said, I hope to do it soon, but you should know that my wife is a big Tzioni. So the man looks at me, he says, Ma, Rav, Kamotcha, a Rav like you, your wife is a Tzioni? And I said, sure. My wife cannot wait until we have a base on Mikdash again and we're all going to live in Yerushalayim. We're all going to live in Tzion. These are the kinds of things we have to relate and explain to them. Learn the Gemaras at the end of Ksubis and find out the miles of Eretz Yisrael. But we have to talk about this a lot and make the situation of today that much more real and Nebuch that much more painful how we're fighting for Eretz Yisrael, Bikdushasa, that Amit Hashem we hope will all be Zaycha to be in the Meher of Yemenu. Amen, amen. So I always tell people, and I, I take this to heart a lot, is that we all know that Moshe Rabbeinu daven 515 times in, in order to be able to go into Eretz Yisrael. And today we have the school, we have the merit to be able to go there. How how important it is. I, I, every opportunity I have, you know, I I, I, I get, get go there all the time and it's nothing like it. And uh, and there's no question about it. We all know that Moshe Rabbeinu daven so many times, what all those prayers, whether, whether they went to waste, God forbid. But no, we all know that the schuyot, the merits that we have, uh, being able to go to Eretz Yisrael and and to win the, all those wars that happen, uh, you know, is, is because of the bank account that was put to the side by Moshe Rabbeinu. And with regards to the fruits, uh, family members, friends, they always go to Eretz Yisrael. What I always ask them: bring me some fruits, bring me some pistachio, bring me some stuff. Because there's no question about, it, like the rabbi said, the taste, the avira, the the the, the feeling of Eretz Hakodesh. It's very, 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 very special. I want to tell you two short things, if I may. Please. One of his grandchildren went to Yeshiva with me. He went to learn in Yerushalayim. And Rebyankov told him, don't go to the Kaisal Maravi for two weeks. I want you to build up the excitement to go to the Kaisal. So by the time you get there, you'll be bursting 
with excitement. It's so important to feel that, that rush of Kedusha. And just another short story, when I took my children to Eretz for the first time, so my youngest son was a young teenager, probably 15 years old or so, and we had a schedule, someone had invited us for dinner, and we were supposed to be there by a certain time, so we went to the Kaisel, and I told my children, okay, we're going to be here for X amount of time, and then we're all going to meet again somewhere in the plaza. So when the time was up, I went over to this 15-year-old child, and I said to him, okay, it's time to go. And I had been in Eretz Yisrael many times. I learned in Eretz Yisrael. And my son turns to me with tears in his eyes, and he says, Tati, it's my first time. I can't leave. So we stayed. I learned a lot from my teenage son, who Baruch Hashem, today is in his middle 30s in a Rebbe in a yeshiva someplace. Baruch Hashem. But I, I learned a lot from him. And that feeling should never get stale. And it's very important that it should always feel fresh. Every time we go, like you said, we like to go many times. But every time we go, we have to find a way to make sure to renew that freshness. It's so, so important. 100% Rabbi. We are enjoying every single moment. Importance of inspiring our children, whether it's learning, whether it's in the classroom, or whether it's about Eretz Yisrael. We have a minhag, we have a custom on Chazak's Torah Talks. A final message from uh, for our broad audience uh, from the rabbi. My one final message is what Rabbi Yitzchok Kutner used to tell people, that the vehicle for the Torah and Ruchni is to come inside a person's neshama is only through simcha. A person needs to have simcha to bring all the Ruchnias into their neshama. We're all starving right now for Ruchnias, our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael. How many of them have embraced a Torah lifestyle? They're putting on tefillin. They're putting on mezuzahs on their homes. They're doing everything. Everywhere, Rabbi, not just in Eretz Yisrael. And with all, with all the pachad, there's that feeling of simcha and pride that we are eaten. We have to live it. We have to show it. And Amit Hashem, if we do, our children will have it and live it as well. Hatzlacha to everyone in your listening audience. Amit Hashem, if I can repeat the words of my wife, V'sechazeno einenu v'yishuvcha l'tziyayin v'rachamim. Amen. Yishakach, Rabbi Hanach Blatnik. If you do it Hashem v'simcha, a topic that we love so much, the importance of serving Hashem with happiness. And Chazak's Tuesday night Torah Talks, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, chazak.org slash live. Baruch Hashem, so many special guests that we've had and continue to have Baruch Hashem every single week. Uh, suggestions for future guests are always welcome. Info at chazaq.org. Special thank you to our friends at Torah anytime for hosting this podcast, along with all the other podcast players, so many of them, Baruch Hashem, that it's all over the place. Please continue to share and to forward and to encourage family, friends, neighbors to log in and to be inspired by these amazing talks by all these amazing Rabbanim and Rabbis. A uh, reminder about Chazak's holy mission of no child left behind. Every single Jewish child deserves Jewish education. Baruch Hashem, over 1,500 kids have already been transferred from public schools to Yeshiva the last few years alone. Baruch Hashem, thousands of more kids have been coming to after school programs, Sunday school programs, teen student programs. Our new youth center has been booming. Baruch Hashem, amazing, amazing uh, happening uh, over there. It's a game changer, a life changer for these youth. Baruch Hashem, Chazi Hashem. Being involved with the Chazak Revolution, C-H-A-Z-A-Q.org. I'm Vizit Shem. We're going to be having a very big updates and news very, very, very soon. And daily giving, a dollar a day goes a very far away. We encourage everyone to check that out. And once again, thank you very much, Rabbi Plotnik. All the way from Shem. You're very welcome. Thank you for the privilege. Ah.